of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com Conair is spreading love and celebrating women, not just on International Women's Day, but every day with Conair Girlbomb. Girlbomb is their new line of powerful hair removal tools made just for us. Yeah. Whether it's the silky smooth skin or the empowering confidence boost you get, Conair Girlbomb is here to amp up those positive vibes with some self-care. So to all the beautiful women out there, keep shining. Keep being you. And treat yourself to some Conair Girl Bomb magic. You deserve it. Available at Walgreens. The Manawak Caves is intended for mature audiences. It contains strong language and depictions of bullying, violence, and sexual assault that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Also, this is an extremely immersive experience, and headphones are recommended. You're listening to The Manawak Caves, a production of iHeartRadio, Blumhouse Television and Psychopia Pictures. You can't fill out an accident report without noting the conditions, the weather, the location. You collect witness information and study the scene. Safety is relative. And there's always a pattern. And if you pay attention, the pattern belies a deeper cycle. A kid on a bicycle, hit by a car and left for dead. That's senseless and terrible. It tears down whole families and echoes into the universe a wounded howl of confusion and existential questions. Then again, the kid had no helmet. He was crossing Memorial and Boulevard, the most dangerous intersection in the city. And there's a robbery at a corner store gone awry. That leads to the junkie who needed that fix. That leads to the dealer that could get it to him. And it rolls on down the line. Safety is relative. And there's always a pattern. Forces, trajectories, momentum. And unless the pattern is disrupted, collisions are inevitable. There's a pattern here, too, in Manawak. A cycle of violence. 
It's not just those Hadley boys. And unless the pattern is disrupted... August 9th, 5.55 p.m. Where to begin? There's only four days left now. Four days till James Fincher is scheduled to be executed by the state of Tennessee. Unless I can still do something about it. I drove to see him this morning. The Riverbed Maximum Security Institution in Nashville. For the first time since he was convicted. 14 years ago. I'm led into a windowless box where, for death row inmates, you are partitioned from your visitor by a sheet of thick plexiglass. Their voice only available to you through a hardwired plastic phone. The divider lends a, a surreal aspect to the whole ordeal, like I'm watching a live event on TV. My face reflected in the glass, so while I wait, I stare at myself as though I'm seeing myself on the other side. In the final days leading up to their execution, the death row inmate is taken to a special cell, away from the other inmates. Their cell is completely bare, a blank canvas for a busy mind. They're not allowed any tools or silverware that they could potentially harm themselves with, and a guard is stationed by their side 24-7 until it's time to go to the death chamber. It's a final torture, leaving them sitting there in their cells, rotting away, counting the days till their predetermined death. Deprived of their inalienable human right to die by surprise. 
What's most fucked up about it all, though, is just how fiercely a death row inmate is protected against their own non-scheduled death. God forbid it happened any other way. God forbid they grant the condemned a fleeting but final moment of autonomy. Anyway, I was about to see him for the first time since before he was arrested 14 years ago. But as I looked at my reflection, all I could think about was how I was about to come face to face with everything I hate about myself. Hey, Finch. And then I saw the cuts on him. Deep lines of scar tissue rising up from his chest. Some older than others, real old. Others looked fresh, still raw and festering. Tons of them, all spilling out from underneath his sleeves like he had carved words and symbols into his flesh. Didn't make any fucking sense. They go to great lengths to ensure these miserable bastards on death row can't kill themselves. No sharp objects. Even if he manufactured some kind of shit, these scars would have taken time. Years, maybe, if they covered his whole body and Finch didn't have these scars last time I saw him in the courtroom before he was taken away, so... How the hell did he get him? You look good. I mean, I mean, you don't actually look much different. That's what I mean. My first time back in Manawalk, everyone looks older. I look worn down, but... But you don't look like you've aged today. I mean, I, I know I look like shit. haven't really slept. I don't really sleep anymore. I spent last night in my car. I was supposed to go to Tyler's, but... Shit, man, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what you've heard. You know, have you spoken to Dina? Well, um, Tyler is missing. I went over there and he was just gone. His whole place was smashed up, but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. Look, I spent years thinking of what I'd say to you. Apologies and pleas and explanations for what happened and why, but it's all bullshit. I was a stupid, scared kid, and I have hated myself for all these years. And so I'm here, and I'm trying to help. But I don't know if I'm doing anything right. Please say something. You do. Look like shit. <laughs> I don't want no apologies. Your stutter's gone. I had a lot of time in here to work on it. To work on controlling my thoughts. Dina says you freaked out on her last night. Um, ever since I got back, I've been having uh, issues. 
Did Tina tell you about Tyler? Forget about Tyler. What? Forget Tyler. Uh, uh, Tyler did his part. And I'm doing mine. But you still have work to do. I know, man. And I, I, I'll go back to Dana and Jill Campbell. I'm sure they need reassurances after I, I, after I freaked out last night. And I want to make sure that they have my statement about the coerced no. testimony. No. Wait, wait a second. I, I, I'm, I'm confused. What exactly do you think you're doing back here, Joey? I, I, I'm doing everything I can. Everything I can do. I mean, I'm really, I'm, I'm grateful your team's gonna be able to make a new pill for you. But in the meantime, I. Tyler said you were writing a book about all this, about me. Maybe, but, but that's not why I'm here. Now, listen, I've been retracing the steps that Detective Smith took when he was involved in the original homicide investigation. I know. What? How do you know all I just know things, Julian. Stuff you don't know, huh? Maybe you blocked it out. Or you weren't allowed to know. Details about you and Ty and the Hadleys. And the caves. Especially the case. Hell. I'm practically a goddamn scholar on the subject. I have so much to ask Not you. Not just the history and geography. Finch, I know stuff that you can't find in the history books. I know, man, but Finch... Winter of 1893. What? The O'Leary family took shelter during a winter blizzard, got snowed in. Eleanor O'Leary was trapped deep in the caves watching her daughter starve to death. Please, Finch, we don't... She have... asked for the Lord's help, of course. Braden prayed, Oh, Heavenly Father, please, I beg you, please deliver my poor innocent child from the cruel hand of death. But the Lord didn't respond. He was a no-show. Maybe deep in those dark, evil caves, even God couldn't hear their small and desperate voices calling out. Okay. But I believe someone else did hear. And I imagine him appearing before Miss O'Leary with some resembling pity in the slits of his eyes. A good mother ensure her future. Don't you think? When he made Miss O'Leary an offer. I can help you. I can protect her. I can save your poor little girl. But only if you make the deal. And poor Eleanor, starved, delirious, freezing, and on the brink of death. And I imagine she did what any loving mother in a moment of defeat and weakness would do. She made the deal.
we're going to get to know each other for a very long time. Finch, I don't understand. Whether or not you believe that story come spring of 1893, the impossible happened. The youngest daughter, Nadine, sure as shit, that little girl emerged from the cave, the only survivor of the O'Leary family. How she survived is a mystery to this day. Finch, I'm here to tell you something. Smith knew. He knew you didn't kill him. I think he knew who did. Why don't you ask him? What? Detective Solomon Smith. Oh. He, he... He's long gone, Finch. No one's seen him since the... When are you going back to the house? The Fowler Estate off of 29. That's where Smith was living during the investigation, right? Yeah. When you're going back there? Tonight. Good. How did you know that? Wait, 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 wait. I, I have so much to talk to you about, Finch. Do you have any idea how hard it is to speak to you? I'm not talking about just sitting here across from you, but literally. Speak words to your face. I have spent years in this place years teaching myself to focus on the shapes of words quiet in my mind training the muscles in my face to wrap around the words properly and I can when I'm calm but when I called you all of a sudden I couldn't get one word out clean it was like no time had passed at all for James fucking Finch Finch Go there first, the Fowler place. Tonight. Guard! We're done! So, who helped the little girl? That's where the discovery of Eleanor O'Leary's journal is interesting. Miss O'Leary described the entire ordeal in grave detail. What Fincher was most interested in is in the last few entries of her journal, when she starts to discuss the presence inside the caves with him. The truth comes in different flavors. Sometimes it's revealed in the intersection of facts. Apparently the father, Seamus, he died first. Sometimes it's hidden in lore. As the family went to extremes to avoid starvation, Miss O'Leary's journal entries become less coherent, more disturbed. These dots are all interconnected. I can feel it. Richard Rydell, being from Anawalk. Detective Smith moving into William Fowler's place after Rydell's execution, and then coming on board the Hadley murder case, only to become convinced of James Fincher's innocence. And now... Deacon Hadley's necklace, found in Tyler Wilson's ransacked house after Tyler's gone missing. These devil's pranks, they're important. More than clues or converging strings on an investigation board or breadcrumbs on the trail. A thread 
through the labyrinth. But what was Fincher's obsession with the story of the O'Leary family? I know it's all connected. Somehow. According to Miss O'Leary, a figure emerges from the very shadows of the caves and offers to help her. What the hell? It would seem that Miss O'Leary was lacking rational faculties. Delirious, freezing, hallucinating, no doubt. Conjured this narrative while on the brink of starvation. Would you agree? Yeah, it's a classic narrative. Uh, the serpent in the garden, the Faustian bargain, the devil at the crossroads. Mm-hmm. Some people believe Fincher worships the devil. Would you agree, Dr. Cutton? <laughs> well, even Satanists don't believe in a literal Satan, Detective. Then what do you call people who do believe in a literal Satan? Christians. <laughs> After I saw Finch at Riverbend in Nashville, I drove back to the Fowler's place. Detective Smith's last known home. In the wash of the flashlight, it looked decrepit. Hollowed out. A skull leering out at the night. Its front windows were opaque with dust. My flashlight didn't seem to want to penetrate the dark inside. The door, of course, was locked. <gasps> what? Is someone there? Come on. <sighs> I have a gun. do you want? Three does and a buck. A fawn. They all stood right there at the edge of the woods staring at me. Eyes reflecting back my beam. Shoo! What the hell? They didn't move when I shouted. It was like they were waiting for something. Okay, weirdos, stand there. Just don't call the cops when I... And I won't send hunters out here for easy pickings, deal? Okay. Okay. All right, Detective Smith. Let's see what you knew. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. 
Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. I'm not going to lie, I didn't know what I was expecting when I got inside. But it wasn't what I was looking at. First off, it was cold. I mean, outside it's nearly summer. In the house, cold, like 20 degree drop. And damp, subterranean, without the benefit of ever being warmed by the sun. The house had largely been untouched since Solomon skipped out. So the furniture's all there, and the bed sheets still must from the last night he'd slept in them. Dry goods in the pantry, a single dirty plate in the sink next to a coffee cup. Mold that had grown over them long since dried and dead. It was like I stepped back in time. The only thing suggesting that Solomon had ever left were the open drawers and half-empty closet, the hangers on the bed. And he'd left quickly. And then, in the back office... <sighs> Around the room, moleskin tablets, the kind you'd use to jot down notes on a case, perhaps, were scattered about. In the corner of the office, a small aluminum waste paper basket sat beneath a scorched section of the wall. 
Someone had made a small fire, and from the looks of it, he'd burned pages here and there from the notebooks, one of which seemed to have been burned whole. That wasn't even the weirdest thing. What the fuck is this? The weirdest thing was the wall above the waste paper basket. What are you doing here, Solomon? Writing scrawled all over it. Articles from the town photocopied and pinned with notations scribbled in pencil and sharpie marker. No rhyme or reason to the order. What the fuck? But all of it painted a grisly, unflattering picture of Manawak County. Every murder, every assault, every suicide and fire and deadly car accident ever recorded, all pinned up and noted in Solomon Smith's neat handwriting. Huh. Oh, shit. It's, uh... His tapes. These tapes were dated, but there's no labeling beyond that. From the looks of it, they went all the way up to two days before Solomon Smith skipped town. Luckily, I come prepared with extra batteries and a sleeping bag and a bottle full of courage. I found the most recent one and popped it in this player. around here, myself included. But this is a small town. People are upset. When those two boys turned up the way they did, it felt like it was their own children been gutted in those caves. And? And they want closure. They want to put it behind and them. They should want the truth. And maybe they'll get it. Seems to me that James Fincher truly was the only one with any real motive to harm Deacon and Thomas. I think we need to seriously consider leaning into the possibility that James Fincher killed those boys. Come on, man. James Fincher didn't kill nobody. What do you have to go on that says he didn't? Experience. Look, you have no idea what being different is. To stand out. To be ostracized, marginalized, demonized, to be discriminated against. In a world full of people who think they're smarter than you. Who think they deserve better than you. Mm -hmm. I hear you. That's exactly why there's motive. I'm not arguing that the system is perfect. It's goddamn far from it. But right now we need to look at the impartial facts. Bullshit! James Fisher didn't want to cause trouble. He just wanted to get by. Killing those boys would be a death sentence for a kid like him in this town. And he damn well was smart enough to know it. James Fincher has been bullied since he moved here. And I'm not going to let him be bullied into a jail cell. All right, look, I know you're a little bit heated and more than a little drunk. But we got to look at this from the rest of the town's point of view, too. And how's that? Smart enough to know it isn't facts. The fact is... 
that multiple people have come forward pointing a finger directly at James Fincher. We have interviews, we have people willing to testify. And Reverend Perkins has been particularly vocal. Excuse me? Reverend Perkins has been putting pressure on you, hasn't he? All right, Solomon. Well, of course he has. Why the hell wouldn't he? You get the backing of the First Baptist Church, you can have whatever you want in this town. A raise, a re-election. Come on. Two boys are dead, you son of a bitch. These are good people. They just want justice. And I would think that you, of all people, would be able to relate to that, Solomon. Sheriff, I know what killed my boy. Maybe this was a mistake. I think we've got more than a little bit of a conflict of interest here. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, you taking me off the case? I don't have much choice. It's my fault, it's not yours. I should have put it together before bringing you on. You need me on this thing. James Fincher don't stand a chance. I'm not so sure James Fincher deserves a chance. Detective Smith up and left his life in Atlanta, but his own personal demons followed him to Manawa County. His son committed suicide a few years before the move, see? By all accounts, he was a smart kid, but he had a minor physical deformity. Born missing two fingers off his right hand, that's it. But he was bullied for it his entire life, hard. And one day, something finally pushed him over the edge. He was 18 years old when he died. James Fincher was 18 at the time of the investigation. Maybe just another devil's prank is Jennifer Fowler called them. You listen, you can hear them off in the woods. I know they're there every fucking night this goddamn week right outside my window, tapping and laughing. I fast forwarded around on that first tape, his last one he'd recorded. Come on, you piece of shit. Come on, show your goddamn faces finally. Come on. from the preceding night wasn't much different, so I skipped back a week or two and had another drink. <sighs> After reading the letters James Fincher wrote to Dr. Tratner, I went down to the Pottsville Library and pulled every book Fincher checked out. He'd also had the librarian print a few articles he'd found on their microfiche. It's from around Halloween, a piece run in the Pottsville Press as... I don't know, I guess you'd call it what passes for a human interest story around here. Amongst these tales of terror and woe is the strange case of Nadine O'Leary, of the O'Leary family, Scotch settlers who had landed in Norfolk and decided to try their luck heading west. Davis Wentworth, of the newly founded Pottsville, walked out onto her back porch to find a small creature hunched over eating raw eggs whole from her chicken coop. At first, she believed it to be a mangy bear. It was so stooped and filthy. 
It turned out to be young Nadine O'Leary, dressed in rags, missing fingers and parts of her face from frostbite. She was nearly feral. For decades, Nadine would give only a cursory account. However, on her deathbed, she told a different story. What the fuck? Hello? Hello? Well, damn. A tree has landed on the roof of the house, flush up against the chimney. Jesus. Come on, detective. What else you got here? Strange case of Tom Trevor, age 34, father of two young children, reported dead June 30th, 1990, after being spotted on a hike with Laura Solace. Also married. Wait, wait, what? Uh, Laura Solace. Is that wife of Paul Solace? Mother of Julian Solace? No. 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 No fucking way. What were you doing hiking with old Tom, Miss Solace? No. He too fell if her testimony was to be believed. No. Cracked his skull wide open. Brain spilled out all over the ground. No. But why were you with him? No. No. Looks like you worked with your husband at the dealership. Y'all probably traveled in the same tiny circles in this hellhole. Probably drank the same shitty beers in the same shitty bars. Your kids maybe even played together. Oh my god. Were you just passing the time? Uh, talking about your happy marriages, your beloved children. Did you talk about Julian? Or were you going up there for a little something else? That just happened. What? Oh my god. <laughs> Getting a little squirrely here, Saul. <laughs> Did he take it too far? Move too fast for you? Misunderstand your intent? Did you push him? Or did you, yeah. in a moment of fear, maybe he's bearing down on you? Did you pick up a rock and finish that greasy motherfucker yourself? She would probably right. She was just out for a stroll in the woods with a friend, nothing more. I mean, uh, I guess we'll never know, will we? Julian. Why don't we talk about something else? The subject doesn't seem to agree with you. Can't think of anything? What happened to the O'Leary's? Ah, uh, yeah. You want a real devil's prank? This isn't the first house to be built on this property. 
Guess who the first owner of this land was? Was it Seamus O'Leary? Well, look at you, Nancy Drew. Ah, damn, son, you could have been a detective. When he died, it passed down to his only living relative, Nadine, who built a cabin here and lived until the ripe old age of 90, before passing it down to her grandson, who knocked it down and built this place you find yourself sitting in right now. William Fowler. Jennifer Fowler's granddad. And my own benefactor. Oh, small fucking world. You ain't kidding. The O'Leary's, what happened to them in the cave? <sighs> Nadine's story didn't add up. There was no way she could have survived by herself, and on her deathbed, she fessed up. Seamus wasn't much of a hunter, and one day, out trying to build a snare, Seamus slipped and broke his ankle. Compound, bone sticking out. Took him hours to hobble back to the caves. Within a couple of days, he'd succumbed to sepsis. Not a pretty way to die. Fever dreams and visions of hell. Poor bastard. They were devastated, the women. Eleanor wailed and gnashed her teeth and pulled out her hair. Though she was grieving, she wasn't a dummy. She saw an opportunity to keep her girls alive. They ate their daddy. That's right. They ate him right up, bit by bit, cutting off parts of him where the rock Eleanor had sharpened, keeping the body cold at the mouth of the cave, hoping there would be a break in the weather so they could try to make it back to civilization, but that break didn't come. And as the days passed and the meat dwindled, they began to lose all hope. Three days later, Millicent got sick. Dysentery. Daddy's flesh had gone rancid. One night, late, the fire had died down. Nadine awoke feeling that something wasn't right. She looked over to where her sister was sleeping and saw a form huddled over her, shaking and grunting. As her eyes adjusted, she realized it was her mother, smothering the life out of her older daughter to put her out of her misery. Jesus Christ. And this is where it gets interesting. Eleanor died in the caves too. Starvation. Her remains were found along with the others. So how did Nadine survive? As a child, she claimed there was someone else in the caves. A nameless and faceless man who led her to safety. Then when she was older, she denied it. And the truth about what happened in the caves? Well, Nadine carried that to her deathbed. And she died right here in this room. Only then did she whisper the story to her grandson, Mr. William Fowler, same man who left me this house. You didn't leave town, did you? What happened? There it is again. That smell. What smell? Applewood smoke. Lightning struck. Makes for damn fine barbecue. What happened? Do me a favor, son. Take a look around your old home, will you? 
No, 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 no. What happened? Really? I think I left something over there the last time I visited. I'd appreciate it. Jesus. Hello? Julian. Tyler? Yeah. What the fuck? Hey, you probably want to grab your shit and get out of there, Monte Pronto, man. What? Where are you? Seriously. You're about to burn alive. Get out. What? What? Fuck! What the fuck? <coughs> <coughs> I looked back at the house and there she was. Silhouetted before the bright flames that began to engulf the Fowler homestead. A little girl in a tattered dress standing in the doorway, like a hole of blackness, a nothingness, negative space. A paper girl cut out of this world, her eyes barely visible in the flickering light. It was Nadine O'Leary watching me. And soon she was enveloped by the heat waves and smoke that engulfed the front porch of the house. Freeze! What? Hands where I can see! Holy, this was an accident. Shut I... the fuck up! Keep your hands raised and turn around! Holy, I'm telling I you said, this. shut the fuck up! Turn around and kneel! Keep your hands raised! What's the point of you I'm talking, Solace. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be held against you in a court of law, you dumb motherfucker. Once it's six to radio. I got him. Put him in the car now. Where is the fire department? stars Jonathan Tucker as Julian Salas, Eddie Gathegi as James Fincher, Clark Peters as Detective Solomon Smith, Nick Searcy as Sheriff Kirby Hooper, Justin Wellborn as Tyler Wilson, Jill Jane Clements as Jill Campbell, Brad Carter as Dooley Tappert, Scott Poitras as Reverend Perkins, Samantha Ashley as Dina Fincher, Justin Matthews Smith as Paul Salas, Tara Oakes as Laura Salas, Jonathan Horn as Deacon Hadley, Alden Karanovich as Thomas Hadley. Mike W. Anderson as Griff Washington. Bodie Walteroth as Jimmy Fincher. Brian McClure as Ian Spinks. Larry Clark as Bobby Hadley. Peyton Fallis as Ed LeBlanc. Vic Polizas as William Fowler. Nick Tikoski as Richard Rydell. And Aileen Loy as The Darkness. With additional performances by Clint McGowan, Dina Dill, Edward Howard, Henry Foster Brown, Jamie Joseph, Juan Monsalves, Christopher Curry, Bailey Heineman, David Mitchell, and 
Bernard Sitaro-Clark. Created by Connell Byrne and Dan Bush. Written by Dan Bush, Zoe Cooper, and Nicholas Dukoski. Featuring our theme song, Killer Inside. Written, produced, and performed by Lyra Lynn. Our executive producers are Matt Frederick, Alexander Williams, Michael Monti, and Courtney Dufries. Our executive producers at Blumhouse Television are Jeremy Gold, Chris Dickey, and Noah Feinberg. Produced by Dan Bush. Music by Ben Lovett. Additional music by Alexander Rodriguez. This episode features the song Wayfaring Stranger, performed by Helena Rose. Edited by Dan Bush, Chris Childs, Stephen Perez, and David Chen. Sound design by Benjamin Balcom. Additional sound design by Alexander Rodriguez. Dialogue editing and sound mixing by Juan Campos. Recorded at Studio Awesome in Los Angeles. Soundbite Studio in Atlanta and Echo Mountain in Asheville. Casting by Sunday Bowling Kennedy and Meg Mormon. Our dialect coach is Linda Bassesti. Assistant Director, Michael Monti. Second Assistant Director, Script Supervisor and Production Coordinator, Sarah Klein. Supervising Producer, Josh Thane. Special thanks to Mary Ellen and Jason Davis, Jonathan Dieter, and Joe Rickman. The Manawalk Caves is a production of iHeartRadio, Blumhouse Television, and Psychopia Pictures. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.